This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Ah, how dark are the readings for Palm Sunday. As we come now toward the end of Lent, this great feast of Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, the readings are pretty grim. As is our custom, we read through one of the Passion narratives, in this case the Passion narrative of St. Mark's Gospel, but we leave out, on Palm Sunday anyway, the good news of the resurrection. And the first two readings for this day also focus rather darkly on suffering. Well, what does all this mean? Why are we immersed in all this darkness? Well, to get to the bottom of this, to decipher its religious meaning is to uncover something of great theological and spiritual significance. Do you remember the first time that life really knocked you around? It might have been some extraordinary failure that you experienced. It might have been the first time you confronted real violence or real hatred you know, people live a pretty sheltered life and, and things have gone pretty smoothly. And then suddenly, out of the blue, comes real violence, not an accident, or real cruelty, hatred. Maybe it was a massive disappointment that you experienced. Or it might have been the death of someone that you loved. For me, it was the death of my father when I was in my mid-20s. My life to that point had been pretty easy, pretty successful, pretty joyful. I was good at most things I, I did, lived in very comfortable settings. I had a loving family, good schools, et cetera, et cetera. And then my father died when I was 26, just a year after I was ordained to the priesthood. And you know what I knew in my gut? I knew that life, at least in this world, would never be perfectly happy again. 
No, I, I knew it would be happy, sure, and I would continue having successes and all of that. But I knew that whatever happened to me, whatever successes I would have, I would never again be utterly content because my father was gone. And in this world anyway, he would never come back. That's when I felt for the first time in my bones how grim life can be. Now, unless you live your whole life in a bubble, this insight will eventually come to you. Things are kind of a mess. We live, as Bob Dylan said, in a world gone wrong, in a place where, like it or not, everything is broken. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everything is just hopeless, but I'm saying everything is compromised. There is just something grim about life. In fact, the older you get, the more complicated and inextricably linked together all this begins to seem. You know what I'm talking about? This evil gives rise to that evil. This injustice awakens an answering injustice. This deep sadness gives rise to violence. This failure causes many other things to fail, and on and on. We're left with something of a mess. Now, you want some concrete examples of what I'm talking about? Look at a really dysfunctional family. You know, a family that's marked by alcohol abuse or by physical abuse, by verbal abuse. Maybe a family that's inherited many, many generations of resentment and anger and hatred, and how every member of the family is affected by the dysfunction. One person's problem awakens another problem, and on and on it goes. A really dysfunctional family. Look at the west side of Chicago. You want to see kind of the mess of, of, uh, of, of life, the economic, the political, the social difficulties all the inextricably linked problems. Think of Mexican society at the moment. We're hearing all kinds of reports about the violence in Mexico, a lot of it prompted by the drug cartels, all of the dysfunction that they bring in, then all the violence and hatred and fear that they produce. We were just in Mexico filming for our Catholicism project, and we heard all kinds of warnings about Mexico. Imagine you're the president trying to solve that problem. Look at anywhere in the Middle East, anywhere in the Middle East. You see this problem of the mess that human beings get themselves into, the fact that life is grim, that life bedevils all of us. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, look, most of the great philosophies and religions of the world attempt to deal with this problem. They attempt in some way to address this problem of dysfunction. The biblical approach is clear. And now that's what our readings are about, both Old Testament and New. The biblical approach to the mess, to the grimness of life, is clear. God sets about a rescue operation. How's God address this problem? He forms a people Israel who would be a people 
after his own heart, who would follow his commands, who would worship him aright, and thereby become a magnet to the world. They would teach and show the way out of this great dilemma. God would address the problem. He would form a people eager and ready to receive him, and he would gradually affect thereby a unity between divinity and humanity. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's the story of the Bible. That's the history of salvation. God dealing with this mess, this grimness I've been talking about. And see, notice something. Notice how real, how visceral, how muddy all this is. The God who sets about saving the human race does not just give commandments from a distance. Rather, he enters into the dysfunction of his people in order to set it right. God, as it were, in the great prophets and patriarchs and heroes of Israel, gets his hands dirty as he attempts to solve this dilemma, this problem, the mess. In the heart of the Old Testament, we find a vision from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what our first reading is all about. Isaiah says, one day, a servant of Yahweh would appear. So someone like one of the prophets or one of the patriarchs, a great hero. Ah, but he would not be beautiful or stately or impressive. Rather, Isaiah says, he'd be someone acquainted with grief. Someone who bore the marks of torture. Someone who is despised and reviled by men. And this mysterious figure, he said, would solve the problem. What's the way out of the grimness of life? What's the way out of the dilemma? What's the way out of the mess? It would be this figure who would bear away the suffering of the world by taking it upon himself. Now, lest this sound strange, let's, let's find some other examples here. Let's find some analogies with this. I always go back to Lincoln and General Grant. You know bugged Lincoln about a lot of the generals of the North during the Civil War was? They knew how to train their armies. They knew how to prepare the army. But they didn't fight. They didn't enter into close quarters with the enemy. When he finally found General Grant, what he found was somebody who was willing to fight. And that's why he stayed with him. How come Grant was able to solve the problem of the Civil War? Well, because he was willing to get his hands dirty. Think of those soldiers on Normandy Beach on D-Day. Think of the terrible suffering they endured as they went toe-to-toe with the enemy. Think of people today, social workers and politicians, those who want to solve the problem of bad housing and unemployment or violence on the street. Well, they've got to get their hands dirty. They can't stay in their sequestered offices. They have to enter into the lists with the enemy. They've got to get into the mess to deal with it. Here's now what Isaiah is saying. 
about this suffering servant who would bear in his own person the sins of the nation and thereby bear them away. Now, here's what struck the first Christians with overwhelming power. That servant had come in the person of Jesus. Paul sings his praises in the letter to the Philippians. Here's our second reading. Listen. He took the form of a slave, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. How does Jesus save us? Not by pronouncing something from on high, not from thundering new rules from a safe distance. Rather, he took the form of a slave. He entered into the grimness of life, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. Do you see what that means? Not just the physical pain of death. Yes, that. Not just the psychological pain of it. Yes, that. But also the deep injustice, the deep violence of it. He accepted it took it on. And then what do we hear in the passion narrative? How they threw everything at him. Betrayal, denial, stupidity, anger, injustice, hatred, cruelty, all of the darkness of the human condition, all of the mess, all of the grimness of it. They threw it at him and he took it on, enduring its shame then, you see, he managed thereby to take it away because he was not simply one more human hero. He was also God and was thus able to swallow up the dysfunction of the world in the divine mercy. This is why the cross of Jesus broke something and thereby set something right. What it broke was the mess. What it broke was the dysfunction. It interrupted something. It ended something, namely this mess. Which is why, at every Mass, we say, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. The one who suffered willingly thereby took away the mess, the dysfunction. What these dark readings proclaim today is that the problem, I mean the problem, I mean the great problem, has been solved through God's grace. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. Pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.